What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode seven of A Man Divided. My name is Adam, and this podcast is all about sharing my journey of navigating faith, relationships, and same-sex attraction. If you'd like to connect with me, you can visit my website, amandivided.com, and there you'll find lots of ways to connect, as well as several helpful resources that I've put on my website for battling SSA or maybe for helping someone else that you know that experiences SSA. As always, thanks so much for listening, everyone. In today's episode, I will be sharing some of my thoughts on physical touch and how it plays a role in our lives in general, but then also specifically how it has played a role in my life while experiencing SSA. So, cue the Olivia Newton-John and let's get to it. Okay, um, actually, <laughs> I'm really just kidding. Um, I'm pretty afraid of infringing on the copyrights to the whole song, Let's Get Physical. Uh, and when I titled this episode, Let's uh, like and I was talking about physical touch that was the first almost the first thing that popped in my head was the let's get physical song <laughs> by Olivia Newton-John um so but I'm not going to play it because I'll probably get in trouble with copyright and that kind of thing so um and also it's probably not quite the best song uh morally to use for a Christian podcast um unless maybe you're singing it to your spouse <laughs> but I guess um, it's, uh, but I don't think it's really talking about the kind of physical touch that I'll be addressing in today's episode anyways. So <laughs> just kidding. Um, but no, like for today's episode, I'm super excited to be discussing, um, physical touch. I, I don't know why, but I'm just very excited for this episode. And for today's episode, I'll be discussing mainly platonic touch and the importance that it has to all of us. So physical touch, obviously, is a huge part of our lives. I mean, we know that it's one of our five senses. It's a huge way that we experience just the world around us, and it's a huge way that you that we can communicate with other people. Um, and we know that touch is a very important, um, you know, first of all, it's an important safety feature, right, of like our bodies. And I remember learning about that, I think, when like in middle school or high school, like reading through like a health class or something like that and a book that I was required to read. And, you know, we learn about how, our bot it's our body's way of telling us if something is wrong, if we're in danger, if something's hot, or if it's sharp, uh, you know, and so on. And so, like, physical touch and our pain receptors, that's like an aspect of touch that's definitely huge. And it's really an amazing way that God designed our bodies. Um, and also, just as important is the good or positive way that touch can impact our bodies. Um, and we think about some of the things that are really important to me or just, that just um, came to my mind were, you know, a mother's embrace, um, holding a child's hand, and just those moments in our lives that are very meaningful and uh, they stick in our, in our minds and in our memories and they mean a lot to us. And a lot of times that involves some sort of physical touch. So touch can give us, you know, this sense of belonging 
It can give us a sense of uh, acceptance, of comfort, love. And if you think about it, all of these are gifts that God offers and bestows to us, right? He gives us belonging as his children. He accepts us. He comforts us. He loves us. So if you think about it, um, touch really can be an extension and um, a physical way that we can communicate these aspects of God with other people. So touch is important. And I wanted to, first off, kind of dedicate right here, like a segment of this episode to discuss um, also how we see some really great examples in the Bible of physical touch being used to demonstrate um, a platonic affectionate kind of love towards other people. So remember, today's episode is going to be all about platonic touch. So, and if you're not familiar with that word platonic, it simply means that it's not sexual or that it's not romantic, that it's only in sort of a friendship uh, sort of way. There's there's no other kind of aspect that goes with it. Um, it's really showing love in the true sense of the word love uh, to other people. Um, and one of the first things that came to my mind is the account of the love and friendship between David and Jonathan. So we'll look at like an Old Testament example first. And to give you a little context about David and Jonathan, obviously we're talking about King David, but this is before he was the king. Um, And Jonathan was the son of Saul, who at this time was the king of Israel. So in 1 Samuel, the Bible tells us about the account of David and Jonathan and that their souls, as the Bible says, were knit together. Um, And I think it's interesting because I don't think anywhere else in the Bible it uses that phrase Um, of someone's souls being knit together. And it says that they each loved the other as their own souls. Um, And it's important to note very quickly here that this was not any sort of romantic or sexual love. Uh, The Bible is very clear about that. It doesn't insinuate in any shape or form that this was anything uh, romantic or sexual between the two of them. And so this was not a form of SSA. This was not anything like that. David was actually married at this time. He had a wife. And I don't really know about Jonathan, if he was married at this specific time or not. Um, But we know that eventually he was, because later in those passages of 1 Samuel, it talks about um, Jonathan's offspring and his children. So we can assume that he was married eventually, if he wasn't, in fact, married right at this moment. But this is where we see in the Bible that it's possible to love someone so deeply and so intimately that it's like loving your own soul. And what's amazing is that that does not have to be any sort of romantic relationship, which today sounds so foreign to us in 2021 um, in in our culture. But at this time... David isn't king yet, uh, as, as I've already said. King Saul is trying to kill David because he's uh, to prevent David from becoming the king. Um, and Jonathan has just delivered the news to David that Saul does indeed very much so still want to destroy David. So, um, and I'm kind of like summarizing in very quick detail. So David is just about to leave for good. 
uh, to run to other cities and to escape. And it says in verses 41 and 42 um, that David rose from beside the stone heap and fell on his face to the ground and bowed three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another, David weeping the most. Then, da- then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, because we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my offspring and your offspring forever. And he rose, he meaning David, rose and departed, and Jonathan went into the city. So this is a great example of the importance of a platonic you know, non-romantic, non-sexual touch between two men at back in this time and in this uh, culture. Um, it was, I think it was common, you know, to greet um, other men or who were important to you that you loved um, with a kiss, um, uh, either probably on the cheek or on the forehead or so much. Like kissing in, in this kind of way was not uncommon between men at all. And I know like in our American, you know, 21st century culture, this is something that we never see anymore, um, especially for two people who are only friends um, or family. Um, so, you know, we can see in this passage that we know that one of them, maybe both of them were married. Um, and so it was a very cool or awesome uh, bond of brotherhood that we see in this verse. Um, I could do like a whole episode and, and just keep going and talking about David and Jonathan, but I just wanted to briefly mention that as an Old Testament reference. Um, and I know there's lots of other references where physical touch is, um, you know, shown and displayed. Um, but that was like one of the first ones that comes to my mind. And then we're going to go to the New Testament really quickly. And I wanted to share with you a couple of instances Um, just a few, um, where we see physical touch play an important role in the New Testament. So we have numerous accounts of Jesus, you know, our Lord and Savior, who used physical touch in his life and in his ministry. And if you think about it, Jesus didn't need to do this. I mean, he he is God. God is Jesus. God spoke all of creation into existence. Jesus technically could have done his whole ministry without having to touch a single person, but he didn't because he recognized the importance of physical touch. And the first uh, reference that I wanted to share with you with you is in Mark chapter 8, where we read the account of Jesus with a blind man. And I'm going to read that to you um, here. So starting in uh, chapter 8, it says, And he, referring to Jesus, took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the village. And when he had spit on his eyes and laid his hands on him, he asked him, Do you see anything? And he looked up and said, I see people, but they look like trees walking. Then Jesus laid his hands on his eyes again, and he opened his eyes, his sight was restored, and he saw everything clearly. So we also have this account of Jesus. Oh, um, before I move on to another account, so just to talk a little bit about this passage in Mark chapter 8. So, um, you know, Jesus uh, kind of, it doesn't say if he's accompanied by other people or if it was just even more personal and he just took the blind man like all by himself, which would have been, if I were the blind man, that would have been an incredible encounter, right? Like being alone with Jesus and having like that one-on-one 
miracle to happen. Um, so we don't know uh, from this account, I don't know if Jesus' disciples or if a crowd were like with him, but it says that Jesus himself led the blind man by the hand, which I think is just super awesome and it's just beautiful in itself like just that putting that picture in my mind and then um, he actually spits on the guy's eyes so yeah anyways I can't imagine what that was like you know you're blind and then this Jesus you know just you just all of a sudden I'm sure it like startled him probably I was probably thinking like, what the heck? You know, (laughs) this guy just spit in my eyes, you know, and then he laid his hands on him. And it's very interesting. Like I haven't read any commentaries or anything about this, but it's very interesting that Jesus kind of like partially healed him and then, you know, said, do you see anything? Um, And the man could see a little bit. And he said the people looked like trees. So obviously they were close to people. So maybe there were people with them or maybe people were far off. We're not sure. Um, But, uh, and they were walking. So maybe they just saw the crowd like walking by or something. Um, And then Jesus put his hands on his eyes again. And then when he opened his eyes, his sight was restored. So Jesus, like, for some reason, we don't really know. It's not really explained to us. But he took the chance, he took the time to actually, like, be very physical with this blind man twice. Um, So that's just very interesting to me. But that's another example. Um, And and then, um, thirdly, um, we also have the account of Jesus um, washing the disciples' feet in the book of John, chapter 13. And I'm going to read some of that scripture to you as well. And I'm going to spend a little bit more time talking about this one uh, because this one is like, way more meaningful and i think there's so much that you can unpack out of this account in john chapter 13 so i'm going to read some of this scripture to you and it's a little lengthy but i just wanted to share all of it with you so it says now before the feast of the passover when jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the father having loved his own who were in the world he loved them to the end during supper When the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. And I'm going to stop right there. And the account continues and it mentions, you know, some conversation between Peter and Jesus, um, which, you know, I'm not going to read all of that for sake of time. But um, we we know that, you know, Peter, you know, was like, Lord, you're not you're not going to, you know, wash my feet, you know, and Jesus said, yes, I am, you know, and this kind of thing. And and the uh, conversation continues and the account goes on and you can read that for yourself. Um, But I think this is such a beautiful passage of scripture here and just the wonder of it all and how Jesus, the literal creator of the universe and the most powerful being, you know, in (laughs) ever, who created the entire universe and the stars and the galaxies and the earth and everything 
humbled himself so much and became such a servant that he actually got down and washed the feet of his disciples. And I think this is such a loving, physical way for Jesus to demonstrate his love towards not only the disciples, but just mankind in general and all of us that the Lord of all became a servant. And Jesus actually goes on to say in verses 14 through 17, I'll read it a little bit. I'm going to skip a little bit. And he reads in 14 through 17, If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So I want to just take a few extra minutes to talk about this powerful, powerful portion of scripture. In my opinion, it's very powerful. Um, and I think it's very interesting that um, so few churches today um, ever do uh, foot washing. And you might be listening actually right now and you might be thinking, I've never heard of a foot washing service or anything like that before. Uh, You know, what in the world is that? And really, when I think about it, I don't hear like this account of Jesus washing the disciples' feet preached from very often anymore. Um, So you might be asking, you know, maybe this scripture isn't very familiar with you. Um, However, I remember that in the church that I grew up in um, as, a, as a young kid, I, um, I actually grew up in this church that held a foot washing service, or at least it was a portion of a service. Um, and I think they might have had it. They, they only had it very rarely. It might have been like once or twice a year. Um, I don't really remember. But I know that it wasn't super common that they didn't practice it a lot and very often. And there was one um, other church later that I attended uh, that I became a member of later on in life, like when I was in my mid to later adolescent years. Um, And when I was at this church, the pastor there, he held a special part of a service where I think he washed someone's feet um, and they might have been like a new convert or had just accepted Jesus. And... um, It was just part of the service where it was just the two of them. And I think that that guy may have washed, you know, the pastor's feet in return. Um, But it was just a short portion of the service. Um, But I think today it's extremely rare to hear of this practice, Um, which really is odd to me, actually, because when I read this scripture, I think to me, it sounds like Jesus is actually saying that we should literally do this physical act. Um, and you might disagree with me and, uh, you know, there might be scholars and commentators out there that say that that's not really the case, but there might be some that say we do, but it's just, you don't, you don't hear about it. So maybe some people think that it's a figurative way of speaking instead of literal, you know, that maybe Jesus is talking about, uh, just talking about servanthood in general and such and saying, you know, if I did this, then you should be a servant as well. But I mean, he literally says, if I 
have washed your feet, which we know he did literally. He wasn't being figurative or using figurative speech when he is talking about that. He literally washed their feet. So he says, if I have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. I have given you an example that you also should do it just as I have done to you. That to me sounds very literal, um, although we don't do it. So it kind of bit makes a big question mark in my head, like, why don't we do it? But anyways, um, I uh, because I was younger, when I attended these foot washing services, uh, I didn't participate. And I remember it wasn't like a, a mandatory thing, like for, you know, anybody that was in attendance of the church service, it was totally um, voluntary. So, um, and so naturally, because of the nature of it, <laughs> there wasn't like a huge number of people that participated. There were, you know, maybe 10-ish men, or maybe like 20 people total, maybe, from what I can remember. Um and I remember, you know, I, I was like, I thought it was really weird. And I was like, what the heck? Like, why do they do this? This is so nasty and weird. Like, I don't want to touch anybody's feet and I don't want them touching my feet. And, you know, I, and um, which is kind of like sounds like Peter, you know, said to Jesus. But I can vividly remember the sweetness and like the overall sense of unity and servanthood and humility and like brotherhood and sisterhood that filled that portion of the service. Like looking back on it, I can remember, um, you know, like almost everyone that was participating in it, just weeping and praying for one another, you know, laying hands on each other before they washed the feet or after or maybe during it didn't really matter but just and the way they did is they I mean they just switched like if it were two men like one washed one's feet and then they switched and then you also like went to each other guy you know and and for the women as well you know the women did that same process um so like the men washed the men's feet and the women wash the women's feet and I remember like both my parents participated I, I think and my grandparents and I at this church I even had like my grandparents or one set of my great-grandparents that were participating in it I remember and um, and I think it was also probably like some of the deacons and their wives and then of course like the pastor and his wife but I just remember um, you know just sitting and watching this and not really understanding what it is and thinking like it was so weird but now like that I look back on it I think it was something truly like beautiful and special um, because it's it's literally a total abandonment of your pride you know allowing your brother or your sister to wash your feet and I mean think about Jesus like if anybody deserved to be too proud to do that it was Jesus right I mean he was God you know, and if you think about it as well, like, it was probably a pretty disgusting thing for him to do if you think about what the disciples, you know, because a lot of us, like, there are people that, like, can't stand feet. I'm not really one of those people, like, feet don't bother me, but <laughs> there's some of you who are listening, and there are the people out there that, like, are very repulsed by feet, like, <laughs> 
And if anybody, like if you think about back in the disciples' time, I mean, when they're wearing sandals, their feet were probably caked with, you know, clay and dirt. And I mean, their toenails were probably long and disgusting. And I mean, it was not like today, right, where we have all of these means of, um, you know, taking care of athlete's foot or trimming our nails or like doing all this stuff. So I mean, like, even if we did it today, we probably have it so much better than like Jesus did, like washing the disciples feet, honestly. Um, But it's also like total selflessness by washing their feet. You know, I mean, think about historically how it's like the most uh, the, like the biggest way of showing that you are beneath somebody or you are like their servant by like bowing and going to their feet, right? You think about there's numerous scripture uh, references where people wanted, went to Jesus and they bowed at his feet. Like for almost all of history, like that is still like the most reverent, like humbled position you can assume with another person is by going down to their feet. Um, And to think that Jesus did that, you know, for, for us. Um, And it's just another meaningful way of, you know, using physical touch to minister and to share the love of Christ with other people. Um, So I honestly think, you know, as I reflect on this, as I talk about it, and as I was writing out this podcast, I was like, I think it would be pretty amazing and it could possibly be something very amazing and almost revolutionary maybe if churches actually started to bring like foot washing back um who knows like what that would look like you know in our churches and um but i can only picture that it would create such a deeper sense of family and unity and love and between these brothers and sisters, you know, in our churches. So just a thought. Uh, Moving on, in Luke chapter 22, we also read about the account of Jesus, you know, being arrested. We know the account of um, him being arrested in the garden. And one of the servants, actually, of the high priest had his ear cut off by Peter. And, you know, Jesus touched him and healed his ear. He could have just spoken, but he chose to touch this, and he, this wasn't one of his disciples. This was just a servant, you know, which is, you know, so cool that Jesus did that for him. And in Luke 24, Jesus also told the disciples to, you know, touch him and see that he was not a spirit or a ghost. And we know the account of Thomas, uh, who doubted and said he would not believe unless he, you know, touched Jesus and saw, you know, the the holes of the nails and the piercing in his side and that kind of thing. So there are lots more, but for sake of time, I'm going to move on. And uh, with all of this being said, let's dive into some conversation, some more conversation about touch for a little bit, moving away from the Bible um, and examples of that, but talking about it in our Christian life. So, Um, I wanted to talk in this next section about love languages. And I remember when I started dating my wife that in college, she asked me um, pretty soon after we started dating, she asked me at some point something like, you know, what are your love languages? Or do you know what your love languages are? And (laughs) I think I remember like 
I don't think I'd ever, ever heard of love languages before. So I was like, what are you talking about? What is a love language? So she explained to me, you know, what they were and the whole concept behind them. And, you know, very shortly afterwards, I was going online and I was answering all of the scenario questions, you know, to figure out what my languages were. So I feel that by now, probably most everybody has heard of love languages, but just in case you haven't, it is a concept that was conceived by a marriage counselor by the name of Gary Chapman, and he wrote the book, The Five Love Languages, back in 1992, which I was only two years old in that year. (laughs) And the five love languages are the following. Number one, words of affirmation. Two is quality time. Three, receiving gifts four acts of service, and five, physical touch. Now, I haven't done a huge study into these different languages or anything like that, so don't consider me an expert. I just took the quiz, basically. Um, And I don't really know if it's necessarily Christian in nature or not. I don't think that his book is or anything like that. I'm pretty sure it's secular. But you can take a quiz on the five love languages website if you're interested in that it's like the number five and then it's lovelanguages.com and you can find out what your more prominent love languages are which is basically saying like how do you feel loved like which of those things make you feel more loved you know is it words of affirmation when people compliment you Um, Is it quality time? Is it when people give you gifts? Uh, When people do things for you or, you know, physical touch? Like which of those things makes you feel the most loved and do you enjoy receiving love in those different ways? Um, And now I took that, I do want to say I took the quiz probably like seven or eight years ago. So it's been a good while. Uh, I think when I was in college or maybe shortly after I got out of college, I kind of took the the quiz again, maybe. Um, And my strongest love love language for myself was physical touch. So um, that's kind of like the whole reason that I'm talking about this right now. Um, It is because I can relate, like it's my biggest love language. And um, so I wanted to, that's why I decided to have a whole episode dedicated to it. Um, Physical touch is a huge way that I personally experience and I feel affection and love from people. And then I would say probably my second is probably quality slash quantity time. Um, And this uh, it's important to note, like this doesn't only apply to my marriage and my relationship with my wife, but this is like my life in general and any kind of relationships that I have. So talking about my number one physical touch first, um, it's a huge way that I personally enjoy receiving affection. And as time has gone on and as I've been married and as I have, you know, had a spouse and somebody that I'm very close to and, you know, that I'm more intimate with than anybody else, obviously, um, I think it's just become more and more apparent that like physical touch, even if it's just platonic, is like such a big way that I feel loved. And um, it can look like lots of different things. You know, obviously handshakes and hugs are the most minimal or the most basic ways. Um, I'm not always going to feel loved just because I shake a hand or because I give a hug, um, you know. 
uh, because we do that with people we don't even know sometimes. You know, that's how we greet people that are strangers to us. So there's definitely like not any sense of like love there. But um, so those are, you know, the most, that's the most basic. But as it, you know, like the platonic kind of touch that really makes me feel loved, you know, is anything like shoulder rubs or like a back rub or uh, my wife will testify to this. I could literally have somebody scratch my back all day long. (laughs) I mean, it just it's like my thing. So there's been times when we've been like shopping or if, if we've just been out at a public place and my wife is walking beside me, if she, sometimes she just surprises me and she'll just reach up and start rubbing my back. And oh my gosh, like I'm instantly like, it just, it sends like chills all up in my body and I love it. And um, in me like holding hands Um, Any kind of resting, you know, kind of touch position, for example, like if I'm laying or resting my head on somebody's shoulder or if they do that to me, that makes me feel very loved and connected with that person or um, someone just, you know, maybe kind of just sitting close and kind of just leaning on me, um, you know, like arm to arm or shoulder to shoulder or that kind of thing. Uh, If, you know, playing with my hair or really anything like in the in that realm. Um, and again, you know, I'm just keeping it. We're only talking about a platonic touch. This is not going to be a discussion about any kind of, you know, sexual touch or anything like that. Um, and then talking a little bit more about my second choice probably is like, you know, the quality or quantity time. And I love spending time with people who are important to me. Um now, I'm not an extrovert. I am introverted, um, so I'm not a huge fan of spending time with a lot of people that I don't know and being allowed around large groups, but I love more intimate settings like where I'm with, you know, a few people that I know and that I feel comfortable with. I love spending time with them or like some one-on-one time with a friend or something like that. That is probably my second biggest love language. Um, I love spending good quality time and really getting to know people who are important in my life um, and sharing things with them and then sharing things with me. But I also really enjoy, you know, several nights a week or whatever of just, you know, light conversation or having somebody out just to hang out and play a game or watch a movie. So that's kind of why I say quality or quantity time. Um, I love quality time, but I also love like when we just get together a lot and it might not be about necessarily like good quality. Like it may be just a lot of movie nights or a lot of, you know, um, things like that. Um, and I think kind of closely tied with that is kind of an extension, you know, in a way, like if you're calling someone on the phone or receiving text messages or something, that's also can be kind of a way of spending time with somebody because you're taking time to communicate. So that's also really meaningful to me. Um, even if it's just to say hello, like it means a lot and, you know, it feels good, honestly, when to know that you're being thought about by somebody, um, and that somebody cares about you. So, and I'm sure that a lot of you or all of you that are listening would agree with me on that. So, um, if you're interested, you know, in finding out more, uh, or finding out your, you know, more prominent love languages, um, ch- check out that website, the five lovelanguages.com, five with the number five. And I don't remember how long it takes to take the quiz, um, but 
you know, maybe 10, 15, 20 minutes. Um, it's a lot of questions, I think, but it, it just gives you like different scenarios and kind of says, would you like this or not? That kind of, that kind of thing. So I think it's really helpful um, with some self-reflection. It can help you learn uh, some things about yourself. It can benefit your relationships with other people, I think. Um, and it can also help you be conscious about other people's love languages um, and that kind of thing as well. So now let's kind of talk about like love languages and same-sex attraction. Like how does that, how do those come into play with each other? So over the last several years, I've come to realize that my love languages can affect my SSA. And I think like my SSA can affect my love languages. They can get entwined. Um, So mainly I think my SSA amplifies my love languages like towards other men or um, I think it causes me to experience maybe like stronger desires for physical touch and quality or quantity time from, you know, male friends and family. Um, Maybe more than it might for other guys who don't experience SSA. Or at least like maybe it makes me more of my SSA helps me to be more aware of my inherent like need for a healthy, affectionate, platonic physical touch from other men. Um, I, I don't really know, honestly, um, you know, I've tried to figure out over some time um, if these desires for physical touch and quality time from men um, are there that feel, feel so strong are there because of some sort of deficit maybe that I experienced from earlier in my life or not so I don't really know um, that there was a deficit of that kind of thing in my life but maybe there was maybe there wasn't um, a lot of our you know earlier years as children and stuff is just perception so um, it's hard to tell sometimes. Maybe it's, you know, bar- buried like way deep in my subconscious or something. Um, I don't know. <laughs> but it's definitely true for people who experience SSA and also for those who don't, that many people, not all people, but many people can experience deficits um, and lack of positive physical touch, healthy physical touch in their early years, and later on that can negatively affect them as they grow into adults. Um, So I know for some people it can help, like having this deficit can help the development of SSA. I'm definitely not saying that it's uh, the root cause or if someone has a deficit that they're, you know, it's guaranteed that they're going to develop SSA. That's not what I'm saying at all, because that's not true. Um, But it can be a contributing factor, I think. Um, So for example, let's say that a boy growing up doesn't have a loving, healthy, platonic touch and a loving father figure for whatever reason, um, you know, growing up. Or he doesn't have any kind of or much uh, at all kind of healthy, positive interaction with the same gender while growing up, that boy could potentially grow up to be a man who now feels a void there and a strong desire to feel love and acceptance by other men in his life through, you know, maybe physical touch or or time and that kind of thing. This can be a contributing factor. It could be to developing SSA. 
Again, I'm not saying it always is or trying to make any generalizations, but it definitely is a possibility. Now, on the flip side of that coin, you can have instances where, you know, we know that actually receiving negative touch, um, so, you know, not a deficit, but um, a physical touch gone wrong, you know, something like abuse or molestation or something like that. That can cause issues, and we know that that can create strong desires, maybe since there were so much negative experiences when someone was younger, then when they grow older, then they really seek out positive physical touch in the lives of many individuals. Um, I think that all of these different circumstances, regardless of how it turns out, but um, they all serve to remind us of how big of a role physical touch plays in our lives and how delicate that balance can be and how it can be thrown off. And um, I'm not saying by any means that you need to approach someone with SSA and, you know, just hit them up point blank with the question of, hey, were you physically abused as a child? You know, if you're trying to figure out someone's SSA, don't go up to them and ask them that question, please. And don't say or, you know, something like, did you have positive touch in your life as a child? Like that kind of thing. Um, It's definitely not a you know, formula that fits every person. It's different for every single person. But those are just some possibilities that you can think about. Um, Never assume that just because someone is SSA that they were abused, because that's definitely not the case. That's my case. I was not abused, but I still developed SSA. So mine wasn't in uh, um, the presence of negative physical touch. And really, I don't feel like mine was an absence of physical touch, but maybe it was just a little bit. um, And maybe that's just a contributing factor. So I'm not like, don't make this sound like, don't take away that I'm like blaming my dad, you know, or blaming any other kind of uh, male people in my life, because I'm definitely not doing anything like that. Um, It's just a contributing factor. And there can be tons of contributing factors in it. Um... So I'm saying that these could be possibilities and just kind of be prepared about how you would respond if an SSA friend shared something like that with you. Um, You know, the appropriate response if someone comes to you, obviously, that struggles with SSA or doesn't. But if anybody comes to you, you know, and, and shares, you know, stories of negative, you know, physical touch or abuse and that kind of thing with you recommend them to a you know licensed christian counselor if they haven't seen one yet um, and pray for them and support them in, in that way in any way that you can and if you are ssa and you're listening and you have never asked yourself these kind of questions or maybe you haven't really stopped to think about your life and reflect and think about these things then i would definitely encourage you to take some time and do that um, I think it can be very helpful in learning and, and understanding your SSA better, which we know um, is ultimately what we want so that we can better know how to combat our SSA and how to allow God to help us fight against it. And of course, if you have experienced abuse or any kind of things yourself and you have not shared that with anybody or anything like that, I also highly recommend that you yourself go see a licensed counselor uh you know preferably a christian counselor so that they can help you navigate through all of that with your religion and your faith and that kind of thing okay so you've got the these desires maybe for affectionate and platonic physical touch 
as a part of your SSA like me. Now, what do you do? Um, you may ask yourself, are, you know, I feel these desires. They're, they feel very strong. Um, I would just love some meaningful platonic physical touch with another person of the same gender. Are these desires justifiable? Is that a right way for me to feel? Should I act on them? Should I deny them? What does that look like? How should I go about doing that? So let's break that down a little bit. As far as wondering whether or not the longing for uh, meaningful touch between yourself and another person of the same gender is valid and justifiable, I think from our discussion that we've, I mean, we've already talked about it, I think that is a valid and justifiable need, and it's a human need that we have, and I think I can agree that it's okay to have that. Now, the problem is that things get muddy with SSA because we know sin. Sin takes any sort of valid desire that we have or valid need that God has created us as human beings to have, and sin twists those desires and those um, needs into something invalid or perverted or something just twisted or wrong and sinful. So sin just takes everything that's good about us and it just messes it all up and it warps it. And we have to ask God through a lot of prayer and, you know, seeking him and a lot of self-reflection. We have to kind of untie those knots and separate the sin from the valid desires and those kinds of things. Um, so I think there are a couple of admonitions and there's some advice that I would give to you if you experience SSA and this desire for physical touch, uh, platonic physical touch. And um, so number one, I would say, first of all, check your heart and see if physical touch or these needs and these wants that you're feeling and experiencing are an idol to you because it's very easy for us to put some sort of need or desire that we have in first place above God. I can speak from personal experience about this, that sometimes I can get so hung up on my feelings of if I feel very connected or I feel lonely or isolated. Um, and sometimes if I just feel like I just need a really good long hug from a guy and a friend just to feel like I can desire that, that intimacy or that physical touch so strongly that it's very easy for me to put meeting that need or that desire at the top of my priority list and making it an idol. And that's that can be a very easy thing for us to do where we feel like I just need to have this need met and then I'll be happy or then I'll feel complete, then I'll feel whole. We know that this is not the case, though. Like our sustenance and our need ultimately is spiritual. And we know that, um, you know, our top priority should be God and our relationship with Him and in Christ. So we always have to remind ourselves, you know, to seek Him first and that He is the only source of true happiness and joy and fulfillment in our lives. You know, nothing can take the place with that of that. And I believe that if we're following him and if we're making him number one in our lives, that um, he will supply those needs that we experience um, that are still valid. Um, in some cases, you know, if we're seeking God and we take these concerns to him and we say, God, look, this is what I'm dealing with. I just need 
you know, maybe some healthy platonic like physical touch just to have that healthy uh, sense of love and belonging from a fellow brother or, you know, a fellow sister if you're a woman that's listening. Um, and he might supply that. He could, and he does for some people. But, I, but I'm not going to say that that's the case all the time, and I'm not going to guarantee you that he's going to send somebody your way because I also think that God can help us realize that these needs and our desires sometimes feel way bigger and way more important than they really are to us. And um, we, um, he may help us see that um, it might actually be okay and we might be okay without having these needs met or fulfilled like we necessarily think that they need to be met or, for, or fulfilled. Jesus might tell you, I'm enough for you. You don't need this or this is not healthy for you. So just, you know, he could tell you one of those two things. Okay, so moving on, my second piece of advice for you is that, and this is my least favorite one, but it's a sad reality today that meaningful, platonic, affectionate, physical touch, especially among men, but also between women, in the year 2021 is severely damaged it's totally misunderstood and it's severely lacking and in some places virtually non-existent in our American culture and our society. So finding healthy touch is extremely hard to do. And a lot of men, especially straight, you know, heterosexual men are not comfortable with much physical touch with other men anymore um, at, at all. Uh, you know, any besides something like a handshake or a hug or a fist bump or something like that. You know, even if you hug a guy, um, the hug, you know, it's kind of like our societal norm that like the hug's only supposed to last for like maybe, you know, five seconds at the most, you know? <laughs> um, so to me, this is a sad reality. And I hope that over time, this is something that will change. Uh, but right now, it's just the way that things are. So just know if you're struggling with this, that it might be very difficult for you to get that physical touch that you're seeking. Um, and I know um, I'm saying this more from a guy's perspective, perspective, but I would say this is probably also true for women. Um, although I don't think it is at the same level or to the same extent as it is for men, as far as like the absence of platonic healthy physical touch. Um, I did want to share with you that I came across a very extremely uh, interesting article, online article about physical touch between men. And the article is written by someone who found lots, the, what happened is they found like lots of old photographs of men and friends from a long time ago, probably back, I think it was like the early 1800s or uh, mid 1800s or so, you know, so all the pictures were old black and white pictures, you know, of like men on the farm or, you know, back in those kind of settler days and that kind of thing. Um, but the way that these friends posed and took pictures with one another and, you know, they didn't have a way to go back and, and check and see if these men were couples or something like that. But I mean, more than likely, they were not because we know that like back during that time that was extremely frowned upon it's totally different than today and people were very 
persecuted and that kind of thing. So the fact that if two men were lovers or were romantic, I, they would not have been publicly, you know, taking pictures with each other and that kind of thing. So more than likely they were, you know, just friends. Um, but the way that these friends were posing and in looking in these pictures is such a huge contrast from the way that we see people, you know, like two American men or American men like pose in pictures today. So it was a very interesting article for me. Um, so it was just simple gestures like, um, you know, like holding hands or maybe, you know, one guy having his hand like resting on the other guy's knee. And, and you know, that was might have been commonplace then, but it's like a thing of the past now. You know, um, if two guys are hanging out, like one guy's not going to rest his, just rest his hand like on the other guy's leg or his, you know, or so on. But I think it used to be very common and it wasn't something that made people stop and stare and like it does today. And the article attributes this change in behavior with the arrival of the words and the terms homosexuality and heterosexuality around the turn of the 20th century. And I kind of talked about that um, a little bit in my last episode um, about identity. Um, but once people's orientations began to be questioned, and that was like more and more common for people to do, uh, and that whole notion of orientation came into place to begin with, um, you know, homosexuality was now defined as an attraction to the same gender, not just a physical act. Uh, then men began to be very cautious of sending any mixed signals or displaying too much affection, you know, to other men for fear of being considered homosexual or gay. So, you know, that, because if they were assumed to be that, um, then they, you know, they ran the risk of being ostracized um, from basically and being outcast from like every aspect of their lives. And, you know, for men that were homosexual and um, attracted to the same gender, like that's exactly what happened. You, you know, people um, who either were accused or perceived as being same-sex attracted or who actually openly were, you know, we know they were kicked out of churches, they were condemned, they were thrown into jail, they were um, you know, basically like thrown out from their families. They were disowned. And we, we know that that's, those are terrible things, you know, that should not have been done. Um, and they were things that were done publicly and privately and things worse than that. I mean, people lost their lives, you know, and things, um, who were LGBT and that's horrible and it's wrong. It's sinful. And I don't condone any sort of that kind of persecution like that. Um, I don't think the Bible does either. But as a result of that, um, men became overly cautious and afraid of giving anybody the notion that they might be same-sex attracted, right? So therefore, we have seen major cultural and societal changes over time between men in America um, to where now we've reached the point where it's interesting how in American culture, like two men... And it can be the case uh, with women as well, but they cannot hold hands, you know, um, without everyone literally staring and thinking, are they gay? Are they a couple? Are they, you know, together? Um, so this isn't the case in some countries today. There are other countries where this is permissible and, 
uh, but it's definitely true in Western and American society that men basically, you know, holding hands is a big no, no, you know, and really like anywhere in any scenario is just about this way uh, where two guys cannot like hold hands. I was I was trying to think and I was trying to play out different scenarios in my hand. Well, what about here? What about here? What about here? And like almost any kind of scenario I came up with, I was like, no, people would assume they were gay. No, people would assume they were gay, like in all these situations. So, um, and so obviously, you know, I, I was just, I'll just list some of these, like walking down the street. If you see two guys holding hands, obviously people are going to think that they're a couple. Um, but I mean, even if you, if you saw, like, when's the last time that you saw two guys like holding hands to pray for one, one another? Um, probably never (laughs) or not very often. Um, or, you know, if you've got two friends who are going to bless their food, like at a meal and they can't hold hands for that, or people are going to see them and say, you know, maybe they're a couple that are praying, you know? Um, and if you're on a car ride, you know, you can't, it wouldn't be permissible then. Watching sports, definitely not, because like watching sports is like the super masculine thing, so you're not going to see guys do that if they're just friends or watching a movie or anything, like really. So, you know, if two guys in all these scenarios, if two guys are seen holding hands, then it's just the way our culture is that they're instantly going to question their sexuality um, because our culture is so sexually driven and sexuality is like praised and as thought of as like the most important thing about a person. Um, and I think that's so terrible and it's such a shame, honestly, because if you think about it, we're pretty much allowed to hold hands with literally anyone else in our society without having our sexuality questioned by strangers. You can hold a child's hand, you know, to comfort them or help them feel safe. Um, Even when it's not our own child, you know, if you think about a child who's lost, um, especially if they're a younger child, if they go to, you know, a security officer or a police officer or something, then to comfort that child, you know, they might hold their hand. I know as a teacher, like I'm a teacher and I've had to do that on several occasions, you know, and I've done that with some younger students, you know, if they're having a hard day on the first day of school or they need help finding their classroom, you know, that kind of thing you know, holding hand is like a comfort thing and it just makes people feel safe. And we do it with, obviously, you know, we hold hands with our spouse. We can hold hands, you know, with our parents, with our grandparents or with the elderly in general, you know, as kind of a helping hand. We even hold hands with like, you know, people with disabilities. Um, Sometimes people with disabilities can be very physical and we can hold their hands and that kind of thing. But it's sad, like the only exception to where it's like not permissible or where people are going to challenge our sexuality is if we hold hands or show like that kind of prolonged physical contact with the same gender. Um, And um, this is uh, just changed dramatically for men and women through the years. Although I think for women, there's still a level of platonic physical touch between women that is acceptable. Um, without people thinking they're a couple or that they're romantically involved, um, you know. So, I mean, I know, like, uh, you know, for girls or, you know, in school or in high school or in college, you know, like the whole sleepover kind of thing, and they can do each other's hair or they can do each other's nails. And, you know, there's still things like 
they can link arms if they're walking down the street and they're just two friends. But, you know, if a guy tries to do that, obviously, you know, people are going to wonder about him and that kind of thing. So anyways, as you can tell, (laughs) that was a long spiel, but you can tell that I have pretty strong feelings about our societal and our cultural norms these days. Um, So if you ever need somebody to like hold your hand, you know, you can know that Adam will probably volunteer. (laughs) Uh, I'm just playing, I'm just messing around. But, um, but I say, I've said all of this, that long spiel, like just to say this, like physical touch more than just a handshake or a hug is probably going to be hard for you to come by unless you know like another SSA friend who also feels the same way that you do about um, that and you're fortunate or you're fortunate to find like a non-SSA friend who also enjoys physical touch and is comfortable like having that conversation with you and sharing that with you Um, and when I say an SSA friend Um, obviously I'm talking about a brother or a sister in Christ, like a believer, not a non-believer who is SSA. So I don't think it would, I would ever recommend trying to have much of a physical touch relationship with a non-believer who is also same-sex attracted or homosexual. Um, I just think that that's asking for trouble because they may not hold themselves to the same standard or the same boundaries as you do. Um, and when temptation arises and you're both like alone or something like that, I just think we can all agree that that would be asking for trouble and that might be making an unwise choice. So I know that we're all in different places in our lives. We even live in different places, in different regions of the, of our country. Um, and there's different regional norms that go you know, around that versus, you know, South versus like the Midwest and that kind of thing. But some people feel comfortable, you know, having conversations with close friends. Um, and like, you may feel comfortable with bringing that conversation up and saying something to your friends like, Hey, this is, um, some platonic touch that I would really enjoy. And it would make me feel very loved and accepted. So would you be comfortable with this? Um, and again, use a lot of discernment and pray before you just go up to and don't just go up to anybody and ask them that. That's not what I'm saying. Like this needs to be someone that is a very close, maybe an accountability partner that you have already, maybe someone that you're very involved with in, in the church and in the word and is, you know, that you can depend on as a brother or a sister in Christ. And you know that they care about your spiritual walk with the Lord, um, those are the kind, that's the kind of person I would recommend. And, you know, your friend might be okay with it. Your friend might be okay with having that conversation, but your friend may not be okay with that. That may be way out of their comfort zone. And, um, if they are okay with it and you're able to come to some sort of agreement, then that's awesome. Um, if they're not, I personally haven't had like that kind of conversation with anybody, um, but if they're not okay with that, then just remember not to take that like too personally and just remember that your friend still loves you and cares about you. Don't feel like they're rejecting you just because they might not be okay with any, you know, of these kinds of physical touch or anything like that. And, um, remember that, um, also like they are products just like we are of our cultural and our societal norms and our regional norms so for a lot of people it's just ingrained in like who we are that it 
seems weird to have any kind of prolonged physical touch, especially, I think, between men. Um, but, and remember that even if we take the cultural, societal, and regional norms like out of the equation, some people are not physical touch people. Some people, that's like the least on their love languages. They're just not touchy-feely people and they don't like a lot of physical touch. So uh, just remember that as well. So, and think about that before you go ask a friend. Like that way you're not just shut down immediately and it might hurt your feelings. Like if you have a friend that you just, if you think about it and they never show physical touch to somebody, then I probably wouldn't go ask them because they're probably going to be like, no thanks, but no thanks. Hard pass, right? Okay. And I know I've been talking a whole lot about like physical touch and, and talking to your friends about it. And so you may be asking like, well, Adam, like, what kind of physical touch are you necessarily talking about? Like, um, so I just wanted to give you some examples. Like um, maybe some of the things that I mentioned earlier about myself maybe like um something a little um something maybe like what i'm thinking about is not necessarily holding hands that might be a little bit too you know far out there for most people but maybe something like i don't know like wrap maybe uh, resting your arm around the a friend's shoulder and keeping it there maybe sitting close together um rather than you know if you're hanging out rather than sitting like on opposite sides of the couch like maybe sitting next to each other where your sides are just you know touching maybe um, I, I think I remember one time talking to a friend of mine who uh, experiences SSA and I, I want to say that he shared one time that maybe um, he and a friend like just when they were sitting down like on the couch or something like their knees were just touching or in like his right knee and like the friend was uh, his left knee or, or, or something like that but sometimes something like as simple as that or you know maybe you might think about something like uh, you know laying your head on your friend's shoulder if y'all are just uh, watching a movie or something or your friend doing that to you those are just some suggestions like things that I'm that I'm thinking about um, I'm not necessarily talking about holding hands or you know like a back rub or something like that but I mean I mean that could be something possibly maybe you know like what's so wrong with a back rub really <laughs> I mean when it when you think about it but um so that's are just some examples of like and maybe you would pick like one of those things that you think would be really meaningful to you and maybe if you feel like God if you've gone to God in prayer about it and you've asked him about it and maybe that's something that you could talk to your friend about and again these are just suggestions like I'm not telling everybody to go out and make this happen. Um, these are just some ideas that I'm kind of throwing out there. So moving on, my third piece of advice. If you experience SSA, be very, very careful with your desires for physical touch and make sure that they remain honoring to the Lord and that you don't allow your flesh and your sinful nature to twist that and it becomes more than platonic. So I can't stress like this piece of advice enough. Like I'm just going to be very real and very honest with you guys and share something with you that I personally can be very susceptible to my SSA 
um, to twist my like healthy friendships or like closeness with friends into things that are unhealthy. And this could just be like if I feel emotionally safe or intimate with a guy, then it can I have to check myself very closely to make sure that that doesn't get twisted and start turning into like romantic feelings or something like that. Um, so sometimes we, when we become close to somebody, if there's a lot of emotional intimacy, um, if that is then compounded and amplified by lots of platonic physical touch, I think we can easily get ensnared into experiencing romantic or even sexual attractions to that friend or in that friendship. So you definitely have to ask the Lord to give you guidance and clarification with this and to um, always make sure that what you're seeking out is for to help you better serve him, right? Not just a selfish desire that you have or a fleshly desire that you have. And I think what makes it so easy is because, like we said, these desires may stem from a legitimate or innocent human need, um, and it may not feel wrong, and it may not feel unnatural once it turns romantic or even further than romantic, you know. So I would say just to be very cautious with that, and um, especially in the circumstance, like I mentioned a little bit ago, if you happen to have another Christian SSA friend um, that also desires platonic physical touch. You have to be very honest with each other and establish very clear boundaries and agree together that you will not cross those boundaries, like no matter what, because we know that the enemy, you know, Satan is, he loves nothing more than to ruin and destroy our friendships and our brotherhood or sisterhood with other believers. Um, and to make that, you know, um, break up that unity. Um, and sadly, I've kind of had that experience in the past where I had a really good friendship um, that just went way south. And it is basically, I mean, now it's like non-existent because of the absence of physical boundaries. Um, we did not have a conversation. We kind of just you know, did some things. And again, this is not sexual boundaries. Um, and I can thank the Lord that I'm not talking about any kind of sexual encounter, but, um, there were physical boundaries that we just did not set and we did not talk about it. So, um, there was a lot of, I mean, it was really platonic, like physical touch. Um, and, but think that evolved very quickly. And I know for myself, like romantic feelings began arising inside of me very quickly and very strongly. And I started feeling very strongly that I was falling for this guy, this friend of mine. And the crazy thing is that it didn't really necessarily feel wrong. Um, so, and that might sound weird to admit, but I mean, in the back of my mind, I think I knew that, it, you know, I, sh I shouldn't have been doing those things and I was getting too close. But honestly, just to be honest, like it felt good, you know, like the Bible tells us that there is pleasure in sin for a season. So, I mean, sin definitely feels good. We can't deny that. Um, so it felt really nice, like to me at that time to be so physically close to this other guy and uh, who in turn was wanting to be close to me, like feeling that intimacy and that love and that acceptance. But it just turned ugly really quick for, you know, some different reasons that I'm not really going to dive into right now. But 
uh, suffice it to say, like our friendship was ruined, really, and it was not salvageable. And I basically had to cut off that guy completely out of my life in order to get over him. Uh, It took me a long time to get over him, honestly. There was a lot of pain. There was a lot of, you know, I I became into a depressed state um, that came from that. And that all could have been avoided if we had had a discussion of boundaries or if we had just had a discussion in general in the communication. Um, and I don't, you, so I don't wish that kind of event to happen to any of you who are listening. Um, so learn from what I'm sharing with you. Um, and, and I hope that it will be a help to you. So boundaries are very, very important. And listen, a lot of physical touch is not for everybody. Like um, some people, especially those who experience SSA, like they just can't handle a lot of much physical touch because it's going to make them stumble or it's, it's like playing with fire or, or standing very close to the edge of the cliff. So if you know that's you, then don't pursue that. Don't don't even tempt yourself with that or put yourself in that situation. Um, I love a uh, uh, a verse in in Proverbs. It's in Proverbs chapter six, uh, verse twenty-seven, and it says, "Can a man carry fire to his chest and his clothes not be burned?" So uh, it's just a kind of a rhetorical question, like you know, and the old you know saying that you, if you play with fire, you're going to get burned. So just be real with yourself and be honest and be honest with God and be honest with your friends and your family, whoever, you know, you are, um, have relationships with and set yourself up, take steps to help yourself succeed and not to fail. All right. So, um, I'm just going to keep on rolling. I'm nearing the end of the podcast. So thank you for sticking with me for this episode. It's a little longer than normal, but I I'm loving this. So I'm going to keep going. Um, now I want to address all of the non-SSA listeners um, for the next few, for the next few minutes, and I want to talk specifically to all of you who don't experience SSA who are listening. And by the way, let me just stop and say a huge thank you to those of you who are listening and you take the time to listen to my podcast that don't experience SSA. That means so much to me because I know, like in our busy fast-paced lives it's so easy to just kind of skip over things or pass by things if we think that they're not going to apply to us like if we're if we think it's going to waste our time like we're so busy in this day and age like we don't want to waste our time you know our time is valuable um but i'm just so grateful and i know a large portion of my audience is actually people who don't experience ssa because a lot of you have reached out to me um and I just want to say how much that means to me and how much I appreciate all of you that listen that um, to what I have to share and for being willing to listen and, um, and hopefully learn from it. And I hope it's very helpful for you as well. And, and several of you have reached out and you've said that it is. So that makes me glad and I'm really happy. Um, so now I would like to just talk to you guys a little bit about how to go about responding to an SSA individual in your life. This is uh, if you happen to be friends with someone who is SSA. Um, and for sake of time, I'm going to be talking about if you have someone who is an SSA Christian who is fighting SSA in your life, not somebody that you know that's just out, you know, and is 
pursuing a gay lifestyle or a same-sex you know relationship and lifestyle for sake of time um, but some of these things you might find can apply to both um, but I'm specifically going to be talking about someone that you know who experiences SSA as a Christian first and then like is not wanting to go along with it or pursue those attractions so I realized that I haven't really spent a whole lot of time addressing people in my episodes who um, don't experience SSA. Um, I haven't dedicated an episode to how to respond to somebody and, and that kind of thing. So first of all, if you have someone in your life who struggles with SSA or that comes to you and shares that and this person confides in you and they share their struggle with you, um, sincerely thank them and be there for them like they confided in you for a reason and it more than likely means that they want your support and your help if they come to you Um, they're probably not just telling you to be like oh by the way i struggle with ssa just thought i'd share that with you no they're probably sharing it with you because they really need some sort of support system and they trust you and and they need a brother or sister to come alongside them and help them bear their cross so reach out to them frequently like maybe even daily and talk to them about it uh, make time for them and don't be afraid of sounding awkward put yourself in the shoes of the ssa person like and think about how awkward they probably felt confessing their ssa to you or to people in general um and so you know if you're feeling awkward about it just try to remember that they probably felt more awkward than you and just try to get over those feelings of awkwardness that you feel and just and you can tell the ssa person that just be honest with them because they were honest with you so share your feelings and your thoughts with them and say you know hey like i'm not trying to be offensive by anything that i say so i'm sorry if i word something incorrectly or if I say, like, that's not my intent, and just, you know, preface, like, if you have something to share with them, like, preface it with that, and, and just let them know, and, and don't worry, like, you're more than likely, I would say, you're not going to make your friend feel awkward by bringing up their SSA and talking about it with them, um, so don't worry about making them feel awkward, um, if they've shared things with you, then they're pretty much giving you, like, their permission to bring it up, and like any time really I know for myself um, when I have shared my SSA with close friends and family it's uh, is basically like I'm unlocking like a door of communication and I'm leaving that door open and I'm saying here I'm communicating with you I'm opening this door I'm leaving it open so we can come and go through this door anytime and we can communicate um, and that's probably the way that the person feels that may be confiding in you. Um, they, they want that communication. And I know for myself, I would say probably also for most SSA Christians, it means so much. It means a ton when someone reaches out to me or when someone comes to me and wants to talk about my SSA or they have questions about me like that. I'm not embarrassed by that and I love that because it's a way of showing that they care about me, that they want to understand me, 
that's something so personal to me that they love me. So it's really an expression of your love when you initiate conversation with someone who battles SSA. Um, and I mean, feel free to ask them, say, hey, are you okay with if I talk to this um, with you? If I, if do, Would you like that? And more than likely, I would say they're probably 99% of the, guy, uh, 99% of the time going to say, absolutely, of course it is. So um, what about if an SSA brother or sister in Christ like reaches out to you and happens to express to you like their desire for physical touch or affection or a desire for a lot of quality time with you? How should you respond? Like earlier in the podcast, I was talking to SSA people and I told them to, you know, if they were fortunate, if they knew a non-SSA friend that might be okay with what if you happen to be that friend, you know, that they reach out to. First of all, remember that SSA individuals really deeply need community. We need support from fellow Christians. And um, if they want to be physically close to you and spend lots of time with you, consider that an honor. Like, that's a big compliment. I think it's a big compliment because they feel comfortable being vulnerable with you. They feel safe with you. They trust you. And please don't, um, don't do anything like automatically assume that, you know, they want to spend a lot of time with you or, um, or they want to, you know, be kind of physically close to you that, um, they have an attraction for you or something like that. Like don't feel threatened or intimidated or, or anything like that, because it's very likely, especially like since we're talking about these SSA people being Christians, that their intentions are pure and they're innocent and that there's, you know, no romantic or um, ulterior motives involved. Um, I think if you're struggling with those what if or those suspicious kind of feelings about your friend, um, for example, like if you're a guy and another guy who you know is SSA, is a friend of yours, wants to spend lots and lots of time with you or maybe text you or wants to call you on the phone and just really enjoy spending time with you, like if you're having these creeping feelings, I'm like, oh gosh, like does he have a crush on me? Like does he... What, is he attracted to me? Like, I feel like that's probably in your head. It's probably not true. And it's more than likely like a tool from Satan, like trying to tear like two brothers apart from each other. Um, and same scenario with like sisters, if you're listening. So ultimately, I mean, you probably know your friend or this family member uh, pretty well. Um, obviously, if they're going to come to you and, and ask you for this kind of thing, and you would probably know without a doubt if some sort of, you know, wrong intentions were involved, or if you don't know right at the beginning, then it will become very clear. Um, and at that time, you know, I would say probably confront your friend or talk to about them or maybe talk, see if they want to talk to your pastor with you or something like that. Um, but just remember, use the innocent till proven guilty mentality. Okay. Like ask yourself and ask yourself how much physical touch and what kinds of physical touch are you comfortable with from the same gender? Especially when it comes to, uh, you know, act, interacting with people who battle SSA. Um, and have conversations with that person. Um, it's probably, 
you know, I know like it's not the sort of conversation that we're used to having. You know, you can't really, it, it's kind of humorous to envision like two guys uh, sitting down and talking about like, okay, like how much physical touch are you comfortable with? You know, kind of thing. <laughs> um, and it's not like you're trying to push the boundaries, but, or trying to, you know, like that. You're just trying to set boundaries. Because um, we're all at different levels with like where physical touch plays into our lives. So, if you, uh, but I think that's definitely uh, conversations that are beneficial and constructive. And if you happen to also be more of a physical person, um, then I would say, uh, and you don't battle with SSA, but you're kind of like a physical, touchy feely kind of person, like don't act less physical or kind of be standoffish towards someone if you know that they're SSA. Um, something like that obviously would not be loving or fair. It would more be on the lines of like discriminatory. <laughs> so you wouldn't want to do anything like that. Um, but don't worry. Like, I don't think you're going to automatically, you know, cause a brother or a sister to stumble if they're SSA. And, you know, if you're that kind of huggy or physical sort of person, um, I mean, if you want to, you could ask them, say, hey, I just, I love you and I just want to make sure that when I do this, it's not causing any problems for you. That would be a great thing to say or ask them. But I think they'll, they'll really appreciate that. Um, they're going to really appreciate um, that physical interaction that they're getting from you, I think. Um, and I don't think that it's like that they're kind of develop a crush on you or something like that if you're like physical with them um so i am just about to wrap it up i think friends um this has been a long-winded podcast this is the the new record this is the longest one so far um not by a lot but um i have really really loved um talking about this topic and sharing some of my thoughts and opinions with you uh, I'm super curious also to know if you guys have any questions or comments or any kind of takeaways after listening. Uh, do you experience SSA and is this desire or this need for platonic physical touch present in your life? Do you experience that a lot? Um, have you, does that resonate with you? Have you had any like notable successes um, or some failures in that area? Um, are you a um, non-SSA individual who has ever been approached by an SSA brother or sister, like I've mentioned, about physical touch or quality time? And if so, how has that been or what kind of takeaways do you have from that experiences? Um, if you feel comfortable with sharing like some of these um, or answering any of these questions or maybe asking me a question, maybe if I didn't cover something, if I left something out that you happen to think of that you would like to get my thoughts on, or if you're curious about or what I would recommend, I would love to hear from you. Um, you can reach out on social media, um, or you can email me at adam.amandivided at gmail.com. And also, if you have any questions um, or you, like you want to know my take on physical touch or something related to it, um, I would just, I would love to communicate with you guys. I love when y'all reach out and I love hearing from you and having conversation with you. So, and I could possibly, if I got enough questions or enough comments, I could maybe address those or mention those in a, the next episode, maybe or in future episodes, if I had an, an, enough like a uh, quantity of those. So 
as always, friends, thank you so much for listening. I love you guys so very much. I pray that you guys have a blessed day and a blessed rest of your week. And I will see you guys again very soon. Bye, everybody. Thank you.